Chapter 16 of The Romance of Piracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Piracy by Edward Cable Chatterton. Chapter 16 A Gentleman of Fortune. In an honest service, there are commonly low wages and hard labor in piracy satiety pleasure and ease liberty and power and who would not balance creditor on this side when all the hazard that is run for it at worst is only a sour look or two at choking no a merry life and a short one shall be my motto such was the remark which a certain captain bartholomew roberts a notorious seventeenth-century pirate was said to have made, and no doubt there was a certain amount of truth in this statement. The low wages and hard labor in other spheres of life contrasted unfavorably with the possibilities of ease, plenty, liberty, and power. This fellow, like the notorious Henry Morgan, was a Welshman and born in Pembrokeshire. He grew up to be a tall, dark, ingenious, and daring seaman. For a time he led the hard but honest life of a sailor trading to the Guinea coast, but in the year 1719 he had the bad luck to be captured by Davis, another pirate captain. The latter constrained Roberts to lead this lawless form of life, and it is only fair to state that Roberts at first was distinctly averse from piracy, and would certainly have deserted if an opportunity had been forthcoming. However, preferment claimed his conscience and reconciled him to that which he formerly hated. And when Davis ended his days by death in action, the pirate crew decided to choose Roberts as their skipper. It is my advice, said one of these at the time of the election, it is my advice, while we are sober, to pitch upon a man of courage, and one skilled in navigation, one who, by his prudence and bravery, seems best able to ward us from the dangers and tempests of an unstable element, and the fatal consequences of anarchy, and such a one I take Roberts to be, a fellow in all respects worthy of your esteem and favor." So the Welshman was prevailed upon to accept this new honour, adding that, since he had dipped his hands in muddy water and must be a pirate, it was better being a commander than a private man. So the pirate ship sailed south along the Guinea coast with her new commander, captured a Dutch Guinea ship, emptied her of everything they fancied, sent her on her way again, and two days later took an English ship. From her, too, they extracted all that they desired, and since her crew were persuaded to join Robert's ship, the prize was burned, and the pirate, with a now much bigger company, set sail for the island of St. Thomas, which is in the South Atlantic, some distance off the Congo coast. But as they had no further luck in these parts, they eventually resolved by vote to make for Brazil. 
after a twenty-eight-day voyage across the Atlantic, they arrived off the South American shore, and for nine weeks or so cruised about unsuccessfully, taking care to keep out of sight of land. But on the way to the West Indies, whither they were now bound, a little disappointed, they unexpectedly fell in with a fleet of forty-two Portuguese ships of Bahia. These vessels were bound for Lisbon, and were now waiting for two seventy-gun men-of-war to convoy them home. Such a rich sight was too much for the pirate. He was sure that his one single ship would have but little chance against such a powerful fleet, especially as some of them were really powerful vessels. But a faint heart never made a prize, and he was minded to have a try. Among the many vicissitudes of these pirate wayfarers, the reader must have been struck by the extremely able cunning which these lawless desperate fellows displayed in many of their captures. Somehow one does not associate skill with brutality. But it was very rare that these pirate skippers were at a loss for a stratagem. Force was employed and used without mercy at the proper time, but that was not allowed to take the place of ingenuity. So long as these corsairs remained sober and did not set foot on land, they were rarely met with defeat. They were terrified not by superior forces, but by the possibility of being found out when ashore. The sea and its ways they understood. In that sphere they were at home. It was only when they become so foolish as to abandon their natural element that they fell on evil days. So Robert set about devising some means of getting what he wanted from this mighty fleet. He got his ship in their midst and kept his own rugged desperate crew concealed. He then took his ship close to one of the biggest Portuguese and hailed her to send her master aboard quietly. If the Portuguese should show the slightest resistance, or make any signal of distress, he would show them no mercy. This cool impudence was successful, for the master now coming on deck and seeing the sudden flash of pirate cutlasses of the men, who had for a time been concealed, there was nothing to do but submit quietly, and the captain repaired on board the pirate as requested. Robert saluted him in a friendly manner, and told him he and his crew were gentlemen of fortune. All they desired from him was to be informed as to which was the richest ship of the fleet. If the captain informed them correctly, then he should be permitted to go back to his ship in safety. But if not, he must expect instant death. So the Portuguese pointed out a forty-gun vessel, which had a crew of one hundred and fifty men. Certainly she appeared far too big a job for Roberts to tackle, but he made towards her, still keeping the Portuguese captain aboard. As they came alongside, the pirate ordered the Portuguese prisoner to hail her and inquire after the commander's health and invite him on board, as a matter of importance was waiting to be imparted to him. The reply came that the commander would come presently. But Roberts was not to be put off, 
for, observing signs of unusual activity on board her, he poured a heavy broadside into her, then ran his ship right alongside in the most approved Elizabethan manner, grappled and boarded her. In a short space of time she had been captured, and there were taken out of her into the pirate's hold large and valuable quantities of sugar, skins, tobacco, etc., and four thousand gold moidores. After this, just as a dog which has stolen a piece of meat hurries off to find a secluded spot where he can eat his spoil in peace, so the pirates began to long for some safe retreat where they could spend their time in debauchery with the prizes to pay for the cost. They resolved to go to Devil's Island, on the river Surinam, in Dutch Guinea, and having safely arrived there, were well received by the governor and inhabitants. But the pirates were sadly in need of provisions, until they fell in with a sloop which was in the river. This craft, which was now seized, said that she had been sailing in company with a brigantine loaded with provisions. The news gladdened the corsairs, and Roberts, believing the matter to be so important that he ought to attend to it himself, went in command of the sloop, taking forty men and leaving the pirate ship behind. He was sure the latter would be all safe, and he would not be away long. The brigantine would soon be espied, and then he could return with the latter's welcome cargo. But on this occasion Roberts was unlucky. He did not sight the brigantine, although he sailed for miles and miles during eight days. So at last he came to anchor off the coast somewhere, and sent a boat ashore to inform their shipmates left behind in the Surinam River. The boat was also to bring back provisions to the sloop. But when she returned, after an almost unbearable delay, she brought no provisions, and the unwelcome knowledge that the lieutenant of the pirate ship had run off with her. Roberts had certainly been a fool not to have foreseen this probability, and in order to prevent such mutiny recurring, he proceeded to draw up regulations for preserving order in his present craft. After that he had to act. Provisions and water they must have at all costs, and so they must make for the West Indies. They had not gone far, however, before they fell in with a couple of sloops which they captured. These afforded them the necessary supplies. A few days later they also captured a brigantine, and then proceeded to Barbados. Off Barbados they met a ten-gun ship heavily laden with cargo from Bristol. Her they plundered, but after three days allowed her to proceed. But as soon as the latter touched land and informed the governor of her misfortune, there was dispatched a twenty-gun ship with eighty men, under the command of Captain Rogers, to seek out the pirates. In two days they came up with her. Roberts was, of course, quite unaware that any vessel had been sent against him, and the two craft drew near. Roberts, as usual, fired a blank shot for the stranger to heave to, and was very surprised to observe that instead of striking his colors forthwith, 
she returned his gun with a broadside. A sharp engagement ensued, but as Roberts was getting distinctly the worst of it, he threw some of his cargo overboard and hurried off as fast as his ship could travel, being very lucky to escape in this manner. He next made for Dominica, in the Caribbean Sea, and bartered some of his cargo with the inhabitants for provisions. He watered his ship, and as he happened to meet fifteen Englishmen who had been left upon the island by some Frenchmen who had captured the Englishman's vessel, Roberts persuaded these destitutes to join him, and this additional strength was by no means inappreciable. But his ship was very foul and badly needed her bottom scrubbed, so Roberts took her for this purpose southwards to the Grenada Islands. It was fortunate that he did not waste any time about his cleaning, and that he put to sea immediately after, for the governor of Martinique got to hear that the pirate was so near, and two sloops were sent to catch him. But Roberts and his ship had departed only the very night before the sloops arrived. Setting a northerly course, the pirate now proceeded towards Newfoundland, his ship was well cleaned, so she could sail at her best pace. He arrived off the banks in June of 1720, and entered the harbour of Trepassi, with the black pirate's flag at her masthead, with drums beating and trumpets sounding. Twenty-two ships were lying in that harbour as Roberts came in, but as soon as they realised what sort of a visitor was amongst them, the crews forsook the ships, and Roberts, with his men, destroyed them by burning or sinking, and then pillaged the houses ashore, behaving like madmen and fiends let loose. He retained just one ship of the lot, which hailed from Bristol, and after leaving the harbour encountered ten French ships off the Newfoundland banks. All of these he also destroyed excepting one, which he took for his own use, and named the fortune. The Bristol ship he handed over to these Frenchmen, and then for some time, being in the very track of the shipping, made some important prizes, after which he sailed again for the West Indies, took in ample supplies of provisions, and then, determined to hasten towards the coast of Guinea, where previously they had been so successful. On the way, they came up with a French ship, and as she was more suitable for piracy than his own, Roberts made her skipper exchange ships. They were some time getting towards Surinam, as they made a mistake in their navigation, and got out of the trade winds. And then trouble overtook them. Water had been running short for some time, so that they became reduced to one mouthful a day. Famine, too, overtook them, so that with thirst also tormenting them, many of the crew died, whilst the rest were extremely weak and feeble. Things went from bad to worse, and now there was not one drop of fluid for drinking purposes. But fortunately for them, they found they were in seven fathoms of water, so the anchor was lowered over, but as they were such a long way off the shore, they despaired of relieving their thirst. But the ship's boat was sent away. 
and after a while, to their immense relief, the little craft returned, with plenty of drinking water, to end their sufferings. One would have thought that as an act of gratitude, these men would then have given up their lawless life and ceased their depredations. But they were a hardened lot of ruffians who feared neither God nor man, so as soon as they were able, they were off to sea at their old game. They fell in with a ship which gave them all the provisions they required, and soon afterwards came up with a brigantine, which not only afforded them still further supplies, but also a mate who joined their company. Then, as they learned that the governor had dispatched two ships to capture them, they did a very impudent and a very cruel series of acts by way of revenge. It should be mentioned that it was the custom of the Dutch ships to trade with Martinique illegally. To prevent any trouble, they would keep some distance off the island and then hoist their jacks. The inhabitants were on the lookout for the signal, and would row off to do their trading, there being always a sharp contest as to who should reach the ship first, and so secure the pick of the goods. The artful Roberts, always ready with some new device, was well aware of this custom. So when he arrived off the island, he hoisted the Dutch jack and waited. The inhabitants of Martinique saw it, and came off in their craft as fast as they could. As each man came on board, he had him killed, until there were only left those who had remained in the small ships which had come for the cargo. All these ships, to the number of twenty, he burned, excepting one, and into this one ship he put the survivors and sent them back to Martinique with the doleful news. It was a cruel, heartless trick, and the basest of all methods of revenge. Robert's ships then put to sea once more. And so the life of pillage went on. When they found themselves, after a successful period, well supplied with everything, they would indulge their bestial bodies in hard drinking. In fact, it was deemed a crime among them not to be in this condition of inebriety. And then, finding their wealth diminishing, they set a course across the South Atlantic once more to the Guinea coast, in order to forage for gold. They fell in with two French ships, of which one was a ten-gunner and the other a seventy-five. The former carried sixty-five men and the latter seventy-five. But so soon as these cowards recognized the black flag, they surrendered. So taking the two prizes with them, the pirates went on to Sierra Leone. One of the new ships Roberts named the Ranger, the other he used as a storeship. After six more weeks spent at Sierra Leone in excesses, they put to sea, and after more captures and more enjoyment of their wealth, found that their resources were still in need of replenishment. Festivity and mirth had made a big hole in their capital, so that if they were to keep alive, they must needs get busy forthwith. Therefore, they cruised about, held up unprotected merchant ships, relieved them of their cargoes, and then burnt or sunk those strong hulls 
which had been the pride of many a shipbuilder and many an owner. But the time of reckoning was at hand, for His Majesty's ship Swallow and other men of war had now been sent to capture both Roberts and his craft. Definite news had been gained as to where the pirates were likely to be found, and the matter was to be dealt with firmly. Just a little to the south of the equator, where the line touches the west coast of Africa, is a bold promontory known as Cape Lopez. Off this point lay Roberts. Now the swallow was fortunate enough to know that the man he wanted was here, and came up as fast as he could to that locality. Those who were serving under the pirates saw this strange sail in the offing, and so Robert sent one of his ships to chase her and bring her back. The pirate had heard that two men of war were sent out to seek him, but he had so successfully escaped their vigilance so far that he became overconfident and careless, and in the present instance he judged her to be merely one more unhappy merchantman that was to add to his list of victims. But when the pilot of the swallow saw the detached pirate craft approaching, he effected a smart stratagem. He altered his course and ran away from her, but he gave her a good long run for her trouble, and managed to allow her gradually to overtake the man of war. But this was not until the pirate had got well away from her mothership. As the pirate came up, full of confidence that the prize would shortly be hers, she hoisted out her black flag as usual and then fired. But when it was now too late, they discovered that this was a man of war and much more than a match for the pirate. The latter was too far from Robert's ship to be assisted, and so, seeing that resistance would be futile, she cried for quarter. This was granted, and her crew promptly made prisoners, but not till she had lost already ten men killed and twenty wounded, whereas the swallow had not received one single casualty. The pirate admiral was still lying near the cape, and one morning her crew looked up and saw a sight which gave them no pleasure. Over the land they could see the masts of the swallow as the ship bore away to round the cape. At the time Roberts was below, having breakfast, and some of the crew came down to inform him of the sight. But Roberts was far more interested in his mew than in the ship, and declined to get excited. She might be a Portuguese craft, or a French slaver, or it might be their own ranger coming back. But as the ship came nearer and nearer, the crew began to get exceptionally interested. That was the man of war Swallow. It was useless to dispute the point, for there was among the pirate crew a man named Armstrong, who had previously served aboard the naval ship and deserted. He knew her too well to take any heed of others who disputed her identity. But Roberts was still not nervous, and stigmatized those as cowards who were disheartening his men. Even if she wears the swallow, what did it matter? Were they afraid to fight her? But if there was a man aboard the pirate who still possessed any doubt, 
that uncertainty was instantly set at rest when the swallow was seen to be hoisting up her ports and getting her guns ready for action out went the british colours and even roberts thought it was time to be doing something he had driven matters pretty fine so he had to slip his cable got under way and ordered his men to arms all the time he showed no timidity but dropping an occasional oath he meant to be ready for all that the swallow would be willing to attempt the pirate's sails were unloosed and the ship had gathered way roberts never lost his head although he was not in a good humour at having had to interrupt his morning meal he called armstrong to him and questioned him as to the trim of the swallow armstrong informed him that she sailed best upon a wind so that if roberts wanted to get away he would be best advised to run before the wind as thus the swallow would not easily overtake him but the two ships were getting very near to each other and there was no longer time for thinking out tactics quick but not hasty decision must be made though this is what roberts resolved to attempt he would pass quite close to the swallow under full sail and receive her broadside before returning a shot if the pirate should then have the misfortune to be disabled or if his masts and sails were shot away then the ship would be run ashore at the point and every man could ship for himself among the natives but if this means of escape should turn out impracticable roberts intended to get his ship alongside the swallow and blow the two craft up together the reason why he intended such desperate measures was that old folly which has been the cause of so much disaster both to nations fleets and individual ships in a word he was unprepared so were his crew he himself had not been expecting the swallow and his own men were either drunk or only passively courageous in any case not the keen alert crew who are likely to win an engagement but there was a curious old-time vanity about the man which shows how seriously these pirate skippers took themselves dressed in a rich crimson damask waistcoat and breeches a red feather in his hat a gold chain round his neck with a diamond cross depending he stood on his deck sword in hand and two pairs of pistols hanging at the end of a silk sling flung over his shoulders as was the custom of the pirates and such as one sees in the old prints of these men he played the part of commander grandly giving his order with boldness and spirit when his ship closed with the swallow he received her fire and hoisted his black flag returning the man of war's fire he set all the sail he could and as the ship tore through the water blazed away at the swallow it was a pity for his own sake that he did not follow armstrong's advice and run his ship off before the wind had he done so he might have escaped but either through the wind shifting or else through bad steerage in the excitement of the contest his sails with the tacks down were taken aback and for a second time the swallow came quite close to him 
From now onwards there would have been a very desperate fight. But a grape-shot struck him in the throat, and presently he died. He laid himself on the tackles of one of the ship's guns. The man at the helm observing him there, and seeing that he was wounded, ran towards him and swore at him, bidding him stand up and fight like a man. But when the sailor found to his horror that his chief was already dead, he burst into tears and hoped that the next shot might settle himself. Presently, the lifeless body of the daring, plucky, ingenious Roberts was thrown over the side into the water with his arms and ornaments still on, just as he had repeatedly expressed the wish to be buried during his lifetime. The rest is quickly told. The pirate ship was now soon captured and the crew arrested. The latter were strictly guarded while on board the man-of-war, and were taken to Cape Coast Castle, where they underwent a long trial. Like many of the old smugglers, these pirates remained defiant and impenitent for a long time. But after some experience of the dull confinement in the castle and the imminence of death, they changed their disposition and became serious, penitent, and fervent in their devotions. Their acts of robbery on sea had been so flagrant that there was no difficulty in bringing in a verdict of guilty. End of chapter 16